Hello, this is Tony Speaks, and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Discipline. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. This is Isaiah. I have plans for you. Plans for prospering you, not to hurt you. Oh, 17-year-old Bobby, there's plans to prosper. There will be failure. The failure are just tuition that you're going to pay. You, my friend, are on an epic quest to live. That's what I was tell 17-year-old Bobby. Abraham Lincoln once said, every man is born an original, but sadly, most men die copies. Bobby Hebert is not most men. Becoming Discipline's home base for now is Central Virginia. In this neck of the woods, Bobby Hebert is a local legend. Poet, actor, MC, marketer, fitness enthusiast, Bobby Hebert is a renaissance man. But most of all, Bobby Hebert is becoming disciplined. Today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview Bobby Hebert. So Bobby, welcome to Becoming Disciplined. Thank you so much for having me here today, Tony. I really appreciate it. Well, for our listeners, I don't invite anyone on this show who is not disciplined in at least one of the following categories. Spirituality, mental, physical, emotional, finance, calendar, home, and data. Now, just for those who don't know, Bobby Hebert is a local legend here in Central Virginia. I have personally followed Bobby for years, and I thought that's how I want to be 10 to 15 years from now. Hope he doesn't mind me putting that age disclaimer on there, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, Bobby was one of the first people that I thought of when I began this podcast. But because of his schedule, I put an invite on the back burner until I read this Facebook post that he posted around two weeks ago. And Bobby posted, let me read it for you here, why I stopped taking a lunch break. He said, I usually work around a 10-hour day. I start at 7.30 a.m. and go into 5.30 p.m. That's usually the schedule five days a week. Often, I'll put in another five hours on Saturday or Sunday. So a typical work week for me is roughly 50 to 55 hours. I find the work pretty intense. It's problem-solving from the moment I hit the office. I sell and write advertising as well as manage a team of salespeople. My oasis in the hectic day used to be the 45 minutes I would give myself at lunchtime. By noon, I would be exhausted from the grueling pace of the job. I would retreat to my car, eat a quick lunch, and then meditate or even nap for the rest of my break. The intention to reboot my body and brain for the balance of the day. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it just left me more tired and I struggled to be productive for the second half of my day. All that changed a few weeks ago. I, discover, I discovered the Pomodoro Technique. The Pomodoro Technique is a time management method developed by Francesco Cirillo in the late 1980s. Basically, it states that you should set a timer for work blocks of 25 minutes or so, and then take a two or three minute break. Get up, walk around, breathe. I liken it to a boxer catching his wind after a furious flurry of punches. I decided to adapt this technique and combine it with some of the breath work I've learned. Here's what I do. I set a timer for 55 minutes. I call that my work block. At the end of 55 minutes, I stand up, stretch, maybe do some shadow boxing and take deep diaphragmic breaths. 
at least seven times a day, I go for a walk. You read that right, seven times a day. My office is right next to the back door at work. I grab my phone and phones and go for a three-minute walk about the building. It takes exactly three minutes to circumnavigate the block. During that three-minute breath blast, I do box breathing, a technique a technique I use by Navy SEALs to calm them down during high-stress situations. Breathe in for a five count, hold for a five count, exhale for a five count. Hold exhaled lungs for a five count, start over. While I walk, I usually listen to one of my favorite songs by Queen, Flash. The results of this new strategy have been amazing for me. I quite literally feel like I can't get tired. My three or 4 p.m. work blocks are as refreshed and aggressive as my 7.30 a.m. ones. What about lunch? I usually fast until 11 a.m. I have my food packed in a refrigerated bag by my desk. I consume it during a couple of my breaks around the middle of the day. So really, no formal lunch break. I never really slow down. But now I'm not revving my engine all day like a madman. I am boxing. I'm throwing consistent leather like Sugar Ray Leonard round after round. I find that my capacity for the work I actually get done is up. I find that my anxiety, a condition that I have suffered since childhood, is almost non-existent. I share this with you for what it's worth. The results have been life-changing for me. When I read that, I said, I have got to talk to Bobby. Bobby is the real deal. He's disciplined in several of these areas, but this podcast has taught me that I might invite a guest for one reason, but other treasure, treasures may come out during the interview. But before we talk about that post, and before we talk about the issue of discipline, let's try to understand Bobby Hebert, because context is everything. Bobby, thank you for coming on. But before we really get into the meat of the podcast, can you tell me about your upbringing? Can you tell me about where you grew up and how you grew up? I grew up in Port Royal, Virginia. Uh, that's a, there's two towns in Caroline County. Port Royal is the other town, uh, most famously known where uh, John Wilkes Booth uh, was finally tracked down after the assassination of Lincoln. Just a small crossroads. And uh, we, that's uh, my father was in the army. And when he got out of the army, I was about four years old. And that's where, uh, I, before that, we were in Germany. But I start having consistent memories right around uh, at four when we were in, in uh, Bowling Green. And then we moved. Uh, rather Port Royal. Then we moved to Bowling Green for a year and then back to Port Royal. Just growing up kind of uh, on, at the crossroads in Port Royal. It's a town with two, one stoplight. I was going to say two stoplights, but we weren't fancy like Bowling Green. We had one stoplight. What's that like growing up in Bowling uh, A lot of people call Bowling Green or you could also call Port Royal an extension of that uh, a Mayberry, a type of Mayberry existence. Would you categorize it or how, how would you describe it? Uh, Port Royal was hard. Uh, is I felt like it was very desolate. Uh, you know, uh, we were out in the country, lived in a farmhouse uh, for a while, and then in a, a small subdivision down there. I, I was very lonely growing up. Bowling Green, uh, for the two years we spent in Bowling Green, I loved. I loved walking down. It, now, remember, I'm quite a bit older than you. I remember when I was, uh, gosh, when we moved to Bowling Green, it was about 1966, I think, or 60. 66. Yeah. So I was about seven years old. And by the time I was eight or nine years old, you can go trick or treating by yourself. I mean, this I, I tell people this and they go, oh, no, things were never really. Like oh, yeah, man. We were walking around town going trick or treating. So I, I love Bowling Green. I, 
I, I found that I enjoyed being around people. Port Royal was a lot more desolate, a lot lonelier. Now, what made your dad uh, retire in Port Royal? I mean, I, I, what, I, what I mean by that, I know you told me he retired in the area, but my, my point is um, my dad picked, my dad retired in Fayetteville, North Carolina for a reason. Uh, is there a specific reason why he picked now, Virginia? My, my, parent, uh, my parents were pretty much living on the margins. Uh, they, we grew up fairly poor. Uh, uh, my dad was an uh, Army uh, veteran. I, I think uh, he retired because he didn't want to go to Vietnam. Uh, uh, pretty much at, at, at his age, uh, uh, in his 40s at that point, he had served in Korea. Uh, he had fought in World War II. And after the war is when he met my mother. My mother came from Hungary, and she was a, a war refugee. She was. He met her at a USO camp in Germany. So uh, when they came back to the States, he was still in the Army. And by, by the time uh, Vietnam was around, uh, I, I think he had had enough and uh, he decided to retire and just finding a place, finding employment. So somehow we ended up in Virginia, but it's a great question now. Now both my parents are gone. I can't ask them that, but I don't know why. I don't know why we ended up in uh, Port Royal. Now, uh, now you have to understand I was born in 73, so I'm, I didn't experience it. So I'm just reading about it and just trying to get your take on it. There was a, a lot of, uh, chaos going on uh externally at you know at a at a national level did you know how did that feel did you were you insulated from a lot of that those big news events assassinations and no, all I, of that were you in memories uh, i was four years old i remember watching uh the funeral of jfk i remember uh my mm. big my sister judy um uh, is uh 10 years older than me and she goes oh my gosh there look at him he's your age and uh I remember uh, watching Kennedy's son salute the coffin as it went by. I remember my sister's crying. Uh, you know, so I, but, you know, you know, six, uh, I was four then. And then, uh, you know, in the 60s, no, I, I can say I really didn't understand what was going on in the country. Uh, we were kind of isolated from it. Sure, sure. Now with, because uh, I, I have a mother and father from two different areas as well. Um, with the mother being from Hungary and then also you all being a military family, would you describe your family as traditional or unconventional? Oh, I'd say pretty unconventional. Neither one of my parents spoke English as a first language. Uh, my mother, you know, of course, was uh, in, in Hungary growing up. And then uh, she, she was uh, widely traveled in Germany during the war. Uh, she spoke excellent German. My father grew up in Louisiana. Uh, he was Cajun. He didn't speak English till he went to school. That's and I didn't realize that until years later. Relatives come to visit, and my dad switches into French. I go, "What the heck is going on here?" Pop is speaking French, and he goes, "Yeah, we we speak, uh, speak English in school, but uh, among the home people." And he hadn't spoke French in years. Of course, uh, at the end of the uh, Second World War, I, I think uh, at one point he was stationed to catch black marketeers because he could understand French as uh, they were patrolling the streets in France. Oh, wow. Yeah, so neither one of my parents, uh, my mother never assimilated to American culture. Now, she was born in 1921, which uh, when I think about it now, you know, that's uh, this year will be the 100th year, you know, of, mm. of my mother. You know, she's passed away now uh, back in 2008. but. Yeah, this was a strange new world for her. She spoke a very strong Hungarian accent. She never felt like she was part of the culture. Um, I would say one of the major things I got from her was she was a storyteller. Everything had a story behind it. Everything had tradition behind it. 
and she she struggled greatly to make sense of American culture and American ways. And in some ways, she never did assimilate to the culture. My father, for the most part, was uh, very solid. He uh, rarely spoke. He liked to fish, um, liked to drink. He was a drinker. And it was it was not a happy household. Uh, uh, my mother, I found out uh, as the years went by, suffered terribly from post-traumatic stress. The Second World War was very hard on people. My mother starved nearly three times, uh, nearly starved to death three times during the war. I'll, I'll never forget this experience. I was in college and we were coming back uh, from, my mother never learned to drive either. So I, she came, uh, my father dropped her off at, up at Roanoke College and we were driving back home. And we never ate out at restaurants, but they had come to start eating out at McDonald's occasionally, getting you know, a drive-through burger. My mother made everything from scratch. And we pulled into a McDonald's restaurant and um, they gave us their change. We got back in the highway and my mother's counting the change. She goes, no, 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 this is wrong. They gave us a dollar too much. I go, oh, that's great. She goes, no, I never take it. I never take the money. Even when death was in my face, I never take it. I never steal. You must go back. I was like, I got to turn around on the interstate and go, yes. <laughs> and not that experience, you know. And so, you know, it... Yeah, and I, I realized, yeah, her, what things were very well defined for my mother. Yeah, and uh, she, you know, that that stress, that war, like, you know, we would, we never stood off 4th of July fireworks. She would talk about the bombing. She nearly died in the bomb. She just merely missed uh, the bombing of Dresden by a couple of days, talking about the phosphorus bombs and people burning alive. And, you know, so she, she didn't want fireworks around. So, yeah, and that... That uh, created an isolation. It wasn't just that we were living in the country. My parents were a bit of a xenophobic. Uh, they were people outside the family. And it, it was difficult growing up because I found out later in high school that uh, I'm not what I wanted to be, which was the strong, silent type. I'm kind of like outgoing and I need people. But yeah, growing up was very difficult in that, uh, in that atmosphere. Wow. Yeah, we have more in common than I met. I grew up in a, uh, at least my few first few years was in a very desolate, low, you know, rural location. And then uh, I had a, a father who, uh, who was, who never quite, he was born in 1924 and never quite assimilated into American culture either. Um, I think you've answered my question, but I don't want to assume my next question. I think you've answered it, but I'll just ask it just to be sure. Who was the most disciplined person in your early childhood? Oh, my mother. By what, you say? Oh, yeah. She ran the house. Yeah. And she, <laughs> although she was Hungarian, there was there. I often thought there was a lot of German in there. Very Teutonic. I mean, she would arrange things by size. You come back and uh, like our bedroom was always cleaned and dusted and things were, you know, the big knickknacks were in the middle and, and you had things going down according to size. Everything was in order in her life. And she demanded order out of you you need because uh, and I understand it now I look back and go wow my mother like when we would go grocery shopping at the commissary we would go to Quantico and uh, I didn't realize we were living so close to the margin my mother could calculate in her head to the nickel she knew what everything cost she uh, saved aluminum foil she wrapped you know things bars of soap were used and reused everything was stretched out and you had to follow certain rules you you had to you know and we were told from a very early age i remember uh you you must study you must uh, you do not want to be the ditch digger i don't know at some point 
my mother had been frightened by an American ditch digger. I don't know, because that was <laughs> that was the boogeyman of my youth. She goes, you do not want to be the ditch digger. I mean, at some point, I'm going to meet this ditch digger that frightened my mother. She <laughs> me so much problem. But yeah, she goes, you know, or, and I remember her too, and she found out I was, you know, she thought I was going to be a minister or a school teacher. And then I started selling advertising and uh, she found out I was a salesman. She goes, oh, you are the Vigates. Yes. The happy man, the man that comes into the village, the Vigates. I'm thinking this Vigates is not a good word. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, she, had, she had some standards that, uh, you know, and she was, she was a difficult person, but I, I owe her so much. Uh, I think now, you know, the greatest gift she gave to me is uh, she would listen to me. Uh, I often, uh, yeah, I would say, can we talk about dinosaurs? I, I was fascinated with dinosaurs. I would, uh, I had an active fantasy life. I still do. I'm always like stuff going on and she would listen to that. And so I needed uh, that a lot. So, but she was the one in charge of discipline. Amen. Amen. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's true with you, but even when I try to enjoy a little too much with life and spend a little, uh, I still have my dad's uh, voice in my head whenever I buy anything that's a, a little extravagant. I kind of oh, hear him God. saying, "Do you know how much this costs?" You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We never. I never had uh, air conditioning. You ever have to deal with that? Yeah. When I got air conditioning, uh, you know, I was like, I went hog wild. I moved into an apartment. I bought uh, White and Weeks used to be a place where you could buy furniture and storm. I bought myself an air conditioner. You could have froze a penguin in my apartment, man. I had a course. This was incredible, you know. And and uh, but no, not my parents. They they and they had to do what they had to do. I re I realize now how little they had. You know, they my dad didn't start driving a car. He got his first car when he was forty. You know, my mother never drove. We lived in a small house, uh, three bedrooms, one bathroom, never took vacations. Uh, we lived hand to mouth. And but they were, you know, they were actually pacing every they were doing what providers need to do. They were pacing things out. And, yeah, I still have that, too, where I go, oh, wow. You know, it's like, really, am I going to spend money on that? You know, because, you know, it's kind of wild <laughs> fear. With with that context, were you allowed to play sports? I was allowed to play sports. Um, if only I could have played sports. Oh, God, I was a terrible athlete. Uh, I uh, absolutely was horrible at baseball. It frightened me to death. Uh, I remember my dad tried to put me in Little League, and I hit the ground, you know, when they ball. I ended up in track, and I wasn't very good at track, although um, I'm so glad I stuck with it. I had a great coach, Coach Spaulding in, in Caroline. He says, it doesn't matter. Just Get out here and do, you know, that's part. He built the discipline of exercise in me. I would run. Of course, this is the early 70s. Nobody is running. You look like a maniac, you know, out there running. And then uh, I finally found a sport I was actually good at. My senior year in high school, uh, we introduced wrestling. And it turns out I was a pretty good wrestler. I was, uh, you know, pretty strong for my size. And uh, down in Port Royal, that's what we did a lot. And I was, pretty well versed in wrestling and I was always wrestling somebody bigger than me. So I would, you know, once I had to just wrestle somebody my weight, I did really well in it, but yeah, sports. And, and uh, then I got into what I think of as sort of bodybuilding. I started lifting, you know, as soon as I could afford a set of weights, I would, uh, I was pretty scrawny looking 
And so I was very obsessed with, you know, trying to put on muscle. And then so I was lifting weights pretty much from the time I was 15 on and running. So yeah, sports, you know, we weren't so poor that we couldn't afford a gym outfit, but, you know, definitely not private uh, lessons in anything. Wow. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing the people I run into who have, who their lives have been impacted by Coach Spaulding. Um, you know, I have people that I've interviewed who he was their driver's ed uh, coach. Yeah. Uh, I've had people where he was their track coach. I've had people. And then just for those who don't, you know, for the people outside of Virginia who listen to this podcast, he's still on the school board and is a very, uh, a very influential person within our community still, even to this day. And on top of that, no matter what happens to the football team, he he's he's there. No matter how cold, no matter how miserable, he is at every Caroline football uh, football game as well. So uh, it's just amazing when I hear you uh, talk about Coach Spaulding, just the impact that that man has had uh, with different people throughout the community. Uh, now, uh, academically, you know, with that kind of uh, with, with, with those parents in that context, how did that affect your grades? Well, uh, not good. <laughs> You know, my 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 mother pushed us hard. Okay. Uh, uh, I had, uh, and I since realized, I probably had uh, attention deficit. My uh, my great gift in life has been my curiosity. Everything is interesting to me. My great curse in life, unfortunately, is the mm. same thing: curiosity. I, I find I found it very very hard to focus growing up, and uh, teachers were constantly surprised how I struggled. In everything except English, I was a, uh, uh, you know, I could create stories. I had a good vocabulary. I think people thought I was smarter than I was, or you know, some some there was a disconnect. I would find myself, uh, and it it caused me terrible anxiety because I want you know I struggled so hard to be a B minus student. I always thought, oh, gosh, I should be better than this. And so you know, uh, my my academic years were difficult because I was. I just could not find a way to access my talents, except for things like, you know, I was like, like terrible. Like if I go out uh, for playtime and everybody would be choosing up baseball, I'd always be the last pick. But if we were having a class debate, you know, or if we were had to cook up uh, a play, I remember uh, at a fantastic high school teacher, Barbara Rookemer, my, my drama teacher, and, you know, she would do stuff. And I was always the first pick there. I go, oh, my God, I can actually do this. This is something I can do. So language I was attracted to, but I struggled with everything else. And it was focus. Focus became the thing that I realized. And I didn't figure this out for many, many years later, because I did what I bet you a lot of your audience does. I put more time into it. I put more time into it. I will work myself harder. I, oh, I. uh in college, it, I didn't. I didn't solve the problem either. By the time I got to college, what I did was uh, got addicted to caffeine. I could go three days without sleeping. I, I remember reading Don Quixote, all six hundred pages, because I got behind. Time when you're not disciplined with focus, time becomes a monster. It's it's the uh, Bigfoot. It's the Yeti in the mountains tracking you down because. You're always behind. You can't focus enough to get something done. And then you're promising yourself that you'll get it done later. And then you do what I do. Go, okay, well, I'll just, I'll work it out. I'll outwork this problem. 
And so you're always at a sleep deficit. You're always half exhausted. And that's the way I spent a lot of my college uh, academic time was, you know, always behind because focus was a problem and also learning strategies. So that that kind of answers that question, I guess. No. OK, so this. Uh, so I want you to use your imagination here. 17 year old Bobby Hebert is uh, magically been given the power to listen to this podcast, you know, or a kid, you know, matter of fact, I, there's a young man who, who actually I know he listens to this podcast and he's a creative with a lot of energy and, you know, borderline ADD. What advice do you, do you give to that person to be able to, to get through a task that requires research or requires them to do something that they're not necessarily interested in? First. Uh, the biological, and uh, you have to deal with biology. If you're not on medication, and I'm not sure, you know, again, I don't, I'm not a doctor, but yeah, I know that we tend to try to put everybody on uh, medication. Breathe, slow down, and take a deep breath. Stop screaming at yourself. You know, our self criticism is enormous. You know, I, yeah, I didn't over prepare when we were going. You sent me a list, and I, I read this. Usually. I, I fret and I and I beat myself up whenever I do anything like this. This is what has made performing hard for me for years. I would do something that people would tell me, hey, that's great. And it, it, the screaming in my head, oh, you're just awful. You suck. You should be better than this. There's a part of this. And I believe that goes actually to the spiritual. You know, uh, one of my favorite books, The Screwtape Letters, you know, Satan is constantly whispering into our ears. If it can pull, if it can make us believe that we created ourselves. Oh, 17 year old Bobby, you didn't create yourself. Mm. God loves you. God loves you just the way you are. But he knows the way you are is only mm. state of metamorphosis. You're developing, you're changing and uh, I have this ring that I'm wearing now. My wife made sure I, I always wear this from Isaiah. I have plans for you, plans for prosper you, not to hurt you. Oh, 17 year old Bobby, there's plans to prosper you. Breathe. There will be failure. The failure are just tuition that you're going to pay. You, my friend, are on an epic quest to live. That's what I would tell 17 year old Bobby. I would tell him, like one of my favorite quotes from the movie Hook, where Peter Pan, you know, he says, to live. What an adventure that would be. Yeah, there is, you feel like the things are closing in on you. And you don't understand this. Anything can be learned. Your style might be different, but please stop screaming at yourself. Take a deep breath. You're going to master this one thing at a time. And eventually you'll get it. It will look like magic because all mastering of skill looks like magic. Until you know how it's done. It's all repetition. Those guys that played better football than you, they spent more time swinging that bat. Those guys that had big muscles, they just did more repetitions. This is a mental repetition, 17-year-old Bobby. What you're doing is giving yourself a chance. Not because you created you, because God created you. Created you, and he has a plan for you. And he's pulling you into that future. That gravitational force is huge, my friend. Your whole life is ahead of you. That's what I would tell a 17-year-old Bobby. Mm. 
that is so powerful. Might be the most powerful thing we've ever heard on this show. Uh, that is so, so powerful. Whew. Yeah, I think uh, a gift that I try to share with my daughters, um, it's a secular book, but it goes along with what you're sharing. Uh, it's called The Growth Mindset. And, um, and in that secular book, they discovered the spiritual thing that you just mentioned, that, that uh, you know, you have an opportunity to get better and don't beat yourself up and keep working at it, you know? Um, yes, Carol Dweck. Carol, the yeah, mindset. Oh, I love that book. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Well, I try oh, to ingrain yeah. that in my children. Oh, yeah. My, my children are tired of hearing me say the growth mindset. They, they are tired of me hearing hearing me say that but uh but i keep and i and i think they're having a better childhood than i did because of it so i'm so happy to hear oh i by the way i'll interrupt i love i watched the video of you jogging with your little girls at once <laughs> I, was, I said oh that is so awesome and i'm so jealous you know my kids are 29 and 26 now to have them run this this is it's hard for me sometimes to see young kids because I miss, I love my grown kids, but man, that was so much fun. You're so, you're so blessed, brother. I love that video. I said, they're going to see that. They're going to remember the commitment he took, man. What? Yeah. And you're actually speaking to your 35 year old daughters because they're going to be looking back at that video. Go look at pop, man. Look at, look at that courageous warrior. There he is, man. I love that. Well, thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Now, um, as well, now I know you spoke about sleeping earlier, but have you, uh, have you learned how to tame that artistic mind and be able, uh, can you go to sleep well now? Oh yeah. Because you know, I know your mind goes a million miles. A yeah. Well, also my anxiety, terrible anxiety. Um, uh, and here's what I realized that, you know, most people are suffering from, you know, we're living in anxiety producing culture. I mean, 2020 was, you know, if you were selling, if you had some magic pills, if you had some superpowered value, man, 2020 was your year as a marketer because it was everywhere. We're worried about something. And um, I discovered this about three years ago. I, uh, again, I, I, I devote my drive time to work, I listen to podcasts. Not I, I listen to about an hour of podcasts a day. I'm always wanting to learn and grow because I go, okay, I don't have to be smart. I just have to be tenacious. And you know, eventually I can do whatever the smart people do. That's what I learned in school. That's what I've learned in life that, you know, tenaciousness and just like uh, the cumulative effect. And so I, I, I ran into a uh, of the Wim Hof, W-I-M-H-O-F breathing technique uh, developed by Wim Hof, the uh, Dutch adventurer. And um, actually it was recommended to me on a podcast. And also my son-in-law says, you got to check out this breathing technique. And I started this breathing technique and I realized, oh my God, this is so relaxed to me. And I, I actually looped it into a daily meditation. Uh, I meditate 30 minutes a day. My good night's sleep starts uh, it's actually several parts. Part of it is I get up in the morning, you know, and my mind is primed to be thankful to God for everything he's given to me. I try to jumpstart it with that. And then I journal. I write about what I want to manifest, what I'm thankful for. You know, I, I track some metrics in my life. And then uh, I watch the sun come up. And as the sun comes up, I do 30 minutes of deep diaphragmatic breathing. 
that actually has a breath hold. I can hold my breath now for as many as six minutes. Uh, it's yeah, I've expanded lung capacity, but all this helps me tame my physiology, uh, my system, and that, and I've really, really become disciplined about not only what I put in my mouth, my stomach, you know, what I put in my head, you know, the podcast, what I let in my heart, and uh, really that combines by the evening. The other big thing is three years ago, I absolutely made the decision, no more alcohol. Alcohol totally got taken off. And it's amazing. I, I track my sleep now sleep so well. You know, I, I can actually put myself to sleep when I need to. And sleep, you know, what a magical time. God lets us shut everything down. The dreams, processing, they're even, just, I mean, this is so new now. They're discovering a process, you know, a cleansing process as the fluids are flushing down into your brain, you know, and every day I, I check out my Fitbit and I try to make sure that I'm not being a martyr because the martyr part of Bob, the part of Bob that learned in college, oh, push yourself, push yourself, <laughs> you know, that's, that goes back to what you started with is the boxing metaphor. The brawler, oh, yeah, unless you're Mike Tyson. It all, Mike Tyson beats and everything. Mike Tyson has a great hit. Everybody has a strategy until they get hit. But, you know, yeah, if you're a super brawler, fine. But most of us are not brawlers, and you get petered out so quickly. But, man, if you can pace and treating your body, and that's really where the, the sleep and the nutrition and the breathing comes in. I didn't create this. I was given this. This is mine. God says, hey, take that thing. Go show me, go show my face with this. I'm giving you this machinery and I'm taking care of it because he loves me. And guess what? When I start doing this, I find I love me too. That, so yes, sleep comes from, that was one of the major things I started doing is I stopped putting sugar, wheat, alcohol. Uh, and, I, and I'm not saying this is what everybody needs to do, but everybody needs to at least be aware of what they're doing. What are you putting in your mind? If you're watching Netflix right on up until bedtime, what you're doing, you're activating all the neurons. You're, you know, if you're constantly uh, destroying uh, your system with alcohol, because alcohol will make you sleepy. It destroys sleep. And, and I, I'll tell you that I never I had this policy would never let my kids ever see me in, in alcohol. You know, I would never be drunk in front of my kids. But when I started looking at how I was consuming alcohol and stress, because I was really regimented, I would work hard, I come home, eight o'clock, oh, it's time, it's time to have a beer. It's time to have two beers, three beers. Uh, but the part of me that demanded that I track and improve, that part really kicked in when I started uh, studying my diet in my 50s, and I started tracking how much I was drinking. And then I started looking downstream. What is that doing to my real productivity? What is that doing to my creativity? What is that doing to my sleep? What is it doing to my body? And, you know, all of that plays into how you sleep. So I really do believe that sleep is so tied into nutrition and mind, you know, really where you're going with mindset and how you're treating your body. Because if you're treating your body like a credit card with no limit, and I'm telling you, because I've, I've done it with coffee. I'm, I'm, that's the last bad habit, by the way, that I'm working on. <laughs> and, well, I'm, I'm sure if my wife were watching, she goes, oh, no, brother, there's plenty more bad habits for you. But <laughs> quit treating it. Quit you know, taking this adrenaline and running on that. You know, and this is part of what uh, you started reading about is the cleaner fuel that uh, 
now that I've learned too, with you know, we talked uh, briefly. We we're on the phone the other day. Intermittent fasting, all these processes that let sleep. So yeah, sleep is complicated depending on where you're at now. Pay attention to what you're and those three things. What are you putting in your body? What are you putting in your mind? What are you allowing in your heart? As you well know, if you've been on Facebook any time during this political season, there's been a lot of horrible things allowed in people's hearts that, you know, you know, just really are deteriorating their rest and everything. So, yeah, be careful. Be guardians of that because uh, God needs, I really do believe this, God needs warriors. God needs people ready to show him. And if we as Christians, you know, I, I hold you and I to a certain standards. If we as Christians are living worried and angry and in angst and exhausted, man, we're terrible spokesmen. We really are for what it is. And I don't hold other people to the same standard. But if you tell me, hey, you're so yeah, that's it all loops. I hope that makes at least a little bit of sense. I do try to fold it into how, how's this working with my religion because my religion is not something that's separate. You know, even though uh, you know, I have a uh, I have a close Christian friends ago, you cannot believe in evolutionary biology and be a born again Christian. I said, you just told God what he can't do. <laughs> you know, right, God, right, right, right. God can create this planet any way he wants to. You don't you know, you can li I'm limited. God is not. So, yeah, I study evolutionary biology, but I also have uh, I've been born again. I have the spirit of living God because I've been asked, OK. What's giving you this energy? I, you know, boom, when you're like that, what's done? I say, okay, I'm not necessarily want to be like this. But when I get talking about God, it starts flowing in me. Yeah, that's part of it. You know, so it does flow together. Sure, sure. Now, um, since you mentioned that, I just, and I might even edit this out, but I wanted to definitely share it with you because I just don't want to forget. Uh, since you study that uh, evolutionary biology, there is a great, uh, his, he is a Christian. He's also an astrophysicist, and his name is Dr. Hugh Ross. Um, if you haven't already run into him, I highly recommend okay. Hugh ministry. Ross. Yes, yes. Okay. And uh, matter of fact, I interviewed on this podcast. I interviewed his uh, his head theologian, uh, Kenneth Samples. But uh, really, Kenneth Samples he handles the theology department of their not for profit, and the rest of that. Uh, it's called Reasons to Believe is the name of their organization. And, you know, he has a biologist. He, uh, Hugh Ross is a Christian astrophysicist. And then he has other scientists on there. And they give, uh, they give some, they take the Bible and they, 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 they show that you can be a person of faith and a person of science at the same time. Matter of fact, they call, uh, the, they call, science god's book of nature you know I, god's second book of nature I gotta read you know this. This is exactly yeah. where I'm yes yes I, i'll i'll uh i'll send it to you i'll make sure i won't my wife listens she's listening right now she'll make sure i don't forget and i'll send it to you so uh and i hope that uh transitioning a little bit i hope that i don't offend but part of what inspires me about you is when i met you you know because you're you're in great shape and because of your energy level I thought that you were only three or four years older than me. And then uh, in a Facebook post where you went, you went public with your age, you're, you know, you're actually 10 to, you know, 10 to 12 years older than me. And uh, 
when I read that, it really just blew my hair away. Literally, I used to have hair, and it and it blew it away. Literally, awesome. and uh, <laughs> and uh, I'll say this is that uh, um, when I study, when I did the demographic study for this show, you know, people who are interested in this show, a lot of them are in their late twenties, or the latest is the mid fifties. Um, and when I ran this show by a couple of people in their sixties, some of them were like, uh, uh, I'm done trying to, I'm done trying to become disciplined. Like, all right, enough of that. Uh, uh, their attitude was like, okay, whatever. I'm not, I'm not interested. Uh, but a lot of the people who are interested in this show, they're around 29, 28, all the way up to 54, 55. At your, at, at your age, what keeps you a looking so young and in shape? And the other thing is, what keeps you, when I read your Facebook post about the Pomodoro technique and, 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 and things like that, the Navy, uh, you know, breathing techniques, what keeps you pressing for, for, uh, for perfection at your age? What keeps you striving? Because I'm not trying to be negative or generational, but there's a lot of people who they, they're like, uh, that, I, I've done, you know, I've done the best I can, you know, I'm. I'm I'm done improving. I'm 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 ready to settle with what I have. What stops you for settling, and what keeps you pressing? Yeah, well, I'm not pressing for perfection. I am pressing for adventure and growth. Growth is, and I actually believe that we are suffering from a hypnotism, you know, about what aging is. The more I began to look into this, and this. I wrote an article for the Freelance Star back in 2015 on the paleo diet. In fact, my name, Bobby Hebert, if you type that into Google and you type paleo behind it, you know, the quarterback from the New Orleans Saints doesn't come up. I come up because I started studying this in 2013 and I was blown away with what I learned about nutrition and the body because I was working out an hour a day and right around in my 40s and 50s. I, I, no matter what I would do, I found for the first time I was wearing 34, I went up to 35 pants in high school. I wrestled at 155. And then by the time I was in my early fifties, 180 was my weight. And I was still in pretty good shape. I could do things. But I was always tired. And I thought more work. Yes. You've heard that theme before. Yes. Work harder. And I believe this was also, and this is, I'm going to put this back on the fitness industry. The fitness industry is trying to constantly sell us, oh, if only we could transform in the next 30 days, you know, you're gonna get these videos and then you're gonna shoot a picture and the people are gonna see you and they're gonna go, oh my God. <laughs> and this is, you know, and so 2013, I started reading about, uh, now the paleo diet means, yeah, we weren't designed, our present diet is actually, yeah, if you go into any grocery store, all the food in the periphery is real food. It's meat, it's vegetables, everything else is processed. Pretty much it came out of the Industrial Revolution, out of the wars, you know, and we were eating non-foods, uh, genetically altered. So I started eating more of a natural food base. I was like, wow, I started feeling better. But then I also looked at how people start acting in their 50s. And you you start losing joy. In fact, if I was ever to do a workout video, I I I I don't do workouts that I'm not having total joy at. And the more joy I began to put into my workouts, actually the younger I started feeling. And so it, it became, uh, all right, this is not going to be a surprise to you, but I love comic books. And, you know, two of my favorite superheroes, I, I'll tell you the two top ones, and they're not the strongest. Oh my God. 
they're the men that I fashion my life off of. Steve Rogers, Captain America. What is the super soldier serum? And I've been trying to, since I hit mid fifties and middle age, basically tried to take my lunch money. I started saying, okay, what's my super soldier serum? And I started journaling on that. And that started, you know, I started seeing changes and, you know, Oh, and then I, I started tracking what I'm eating, what I'm putting in. Then when I layered into the meditation, then I layered in. Now I'm doing cold exposure. Uh, I found out, uh, according to evolutionary theories, we, we're all so comfortable living in a 10 degree temperature range. Oh, if it's 75, I'm kind of cold. But if it's 80, I'm hot. I've done this in the last couple of years. I can run in 100 degree heat for an hour. Man, it's fun. I have a blast. I've got myself so so. I've also run shirtless in 30 degree heat for an hour. I can do it. I take cold showers every single day. The shock is initial and it's horrible. And then when it's over, it's regulating my breathing. I begin to realize that you can interpret pain any way you want to. You can interpret your world. You can interpret your age. And that's, and I've also started looking into the supplements that I should be taking and what the major changes they started happening, boy, uh, all of a sudden I dropped 10 pounds. I was down to 170 and in pretty good shape. And then another few years go by and then I dropped alcohol altogether. I was only drinking two or three beers you know, a day, never. I said, no, no, can't have that. Don't put the dairy in there. And then added the intermittent fasting. I'm now, and I'm shocked. I'm struggling to ever get above 160 now. And yet I can do, I can do 20, 25 pull-ups. I can't run as fast, like, but I can still do a mile if I needed to in seven minutes. That's more than enough strength and power. But that is nothing compared to the cognitive powers that, you know, what I see happening with the baby boomer generation is we desert what can happen upstairs. You know, when I started doing the riddles, I realized I'm picking up cognitive speed. And when I flip and throw it into another Mode. Like I, I create riddles for you know the contests like the Winter Wonderland downtown, but I also create riddles to teach people parts of English literature because I want to help people accelerate their learning. But I realize it's accelerating. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm limited by the physics of my physical body, but my uh, cognitive speed has a much greater, you know, uh, width, a bandwidth. And so I'm now doing stuff that I'm pretty certain I was incapable of in my 20s and 30s. So what do I believe in about age? I believe totally that you can buy in to age, you know, because uh, again, I'm, I'm running into this now with my peer group in their 60s and saying, wow, you know, it's over. I, I don't think I'm suffering from a late midlife crisis. No, no, it's a late, it's a late adolescence. There is so much cool stuff that I have not done yet. Now that I've tasted it, now that the fear is gone, because going back to what I said to the 17-year-old Bob, God loves you. God wants to see what you're doing here. God wants to co-create with you, man. Go at it, brother. I want to see what's going to happen. That is a teenager's mindset. The mindset that I had, well, I'll be honest with you. What was my mindset coming out of high school? The one thing I was good at? I was an actor. I won the acting award. I shared that with Todd Swain and Debbie Adair. I hope someday if you guys watch, I love you guys so much. We were the, we were always doing acting. I was going to go off to college. I was going to be an actor. I got to college and I looked at my crooked teeth and I realized I can't sing. And I'm some hick from Port Royal and I'm never going to be in a play. And I deserted that. 
I deserted that particular talent. I deserted that belief in myself. Ah, but it doesn't go away. It haunts you. It haunts you like a spider silk. It's a cobweb that won't, you know, a lot of people are haunted by things they thought they buried. Some of them good, some of them bad. This was a very good thing that haunted me. And later in life, it's come out now. Now that I'm doing some of this wacky acting stuff, you know, and I realized, wow, this is so fearless. This is so fun. There is no, you know, I just want to get as much out of this game before the game is called on me. And so it became, you know, people are oh, you're trying to act young. I said, no, 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 that's not the deal. Like if you go to my Paleo at Ford site, it's now becoming about in order to do what I needed to do, I need to be a young. Only a younger man can deliver me the kind of adventure that I need. So does it mean of like when I'm at the Ren Fair, uh, and I, I think I can say this without you know, bragging. I'm probably the greatest athlete on the field. I can go eight, 10 hours in 100 degree heat. I'll put 20 or 30,000 steps on my Fitbit. I can spontaneously because this is the stuff that I want to do. And I needed to have a younger body to do it. I don't have to believe, I don't have to believe if you have a great enough motivation. And, you know, that's what I really believe. So answer your question. Yeah, it's, it's been part of a process, but it has been a part of a process that I got into in 2013. I feel like I'm really on just some of the breakthroughs. And, you know, one thing I'm not trying to do is I'm not trying to get any stronger. You know, uh, I had a, a good client of mine that says, because I told him, I said, my weight has dropped so much. I think I can beat a Virginia bench press record. He goes, who the heck you want to do that? You're going to ruin your shoulder. I said, you're right. I've got old equipment. Why? I'll just make up a story about how I did it anyway. Nobody cares. You know, that's part of our narcissism. That's part of the mirror muscles culture looking. No, to me, vitality is a key. I'm, I, I'll give you an eye. If I had time, I would develop this, but I don't have time, but I love running and dancing. So I learned to dance at the Ren Fair. Often I'm running with my headset in the woods. I'm breaking out and dance. And I can tell the people are watching. And I said, I don't care. This is so much fun. I thought, wow, wouldn't it be fun if I was running and if I shared, if I could share the music, like I love Michael Jackson, but dun, dun, da, da, dun, dun, da, da, dun, dun, da, da, da. I'm listening to Smooth Criminal trying to break some moves. What if I could beam to a dance challenge to another runner in the woods and we stopped? We just try to make each other laugh. <laughs> that would be so cool. I would. That would be my Pokemon Go. Is to play in. <laughs> this is totally what the Ren Fair is all about. It's about extemporaneous throwing yourself out there, interacting in live, not virtual reality, real reality. But in order to do that, sure. what do you need? You need the energy. And so, yeah, when sure. uh, to loop back, wait, yeah, that's what it's all about. So I do study this stuff. You know, I'm reading uh, you know, books constantly. I'm experimenting with, uh, well, a couple of different supplements, but mostly, uh, you know, fast, you know, our body thinks it's going to have to be a strong, like when I do a set of 50 push-ups, or, you know, I really, uh, I, every night I hit three heavy rounds on my heavy bag and I listen to Queen, of course. We will, when I listen to Queen, so do my neighbors. So I'm hitting the heavy bag, you know, for three rounds, nine minutes of intense stuff. And I come out and I go, oh my God, I do feel like a child. And I will say this, the greatest compliment I ever got on my age, I was, uh, while we were living in Lake Landor and I, I always, uh, 
kids are fun for me. And where I was playing a game of sharks and minnows in the pool and we had to leave. And this little boy asked, I guess you really have to go. Can he stay here? And I, I don't even know what class he's in. And I thought, he's not seeing a guy, an old balding man. He's seeing another child. He did not, at that point, I was about 50. He didn't see me. He saw the aura, the energy. And that's what people mostly see. That's what they, and you know, so the cultural hypnotism of age is out there. You know, think about it. You know, I'm not old enough to be president. <laughs> not even old enough to even start thinking about running for that office. And yet my <laughs> and Ben Franklin into his 80s, shocking him in France with his brilliance. This stuff is so totally possible for us. But what we've got to get out of is, you know, the stuff we're putting into, again, it leaps back to what you're putting in your body, what are you putting in your mind, and what is pulling you forward? What is the great adventure that is pulling you forward? Because uh, that motivation, that mo if you have a big enough motivation, and I have some huge motivations of the things that I must manifest physically that will demand that I be younger. I heard, uh, you want to hear the greatest one-liner I think I've ever heard about motivation? Somebody asked, somebody asked Stephen Hawking, you know, how did he become a world speaker? And the answer, I've, I, I, I got to find this somewhere because I know I heard this and I can't find it online. Stephen Hawking said, well, I wasn't getting paid much as a uh, college professor. And I had three kids to feed. I said, oh my God, there's a man in a wheelchair can move his eye, you know, to run the mechanical voice. He's got three kids to feed. He's not stopping that. He's going to feed his kids. What is the gravitational force of your goals pulling forward? Mine is, you know, I, I got... You know, I got my card games, the things I want to manifest, the things, the books that I feel like I could write, you know, once now that I'm finishing up my career at the newspaper, these things, I'm going to have to be a younger man in order to, you know, do all the adventures I want to do with my wife and all the other stuff I want to do. I'm going to have to be a younger man. Well, that's just what I'm going to do. So, yeah, these things, these motivations, and you'll learn what you need to learn because this thing, this blows me away. It costs $168. I can, the smartest men on the planet will download the seeds of their knowledge to me. All I got to do is ask, what do I want to watch? You know, that's motivation. You got to know uh, what your motivation is. And so if you do that, you know, then the seeds. So yeah, to, it comes back to why do I do these things? No, I've, if you'd seen me, uh, in fact, if you go on, I try, this is why I do the paleo side. I don't have, I don't have anything to sell on paleo. It's all self-experimentation. Stuff that I'm experimenting and I put it out there. But now I can go back and I look. I said, oh, wow, look at the way I looked back in 2009. Look at what's happening to me now. Look at the, it's time travel is part of my visual journal. But I go, yeah, this stuff is so totally possible for us to have vital. Because it's not about youth. And it's not about looking great with a cleaning body. It is about vitality, how we show up in the world and anything that will give me greater vitality. Even right now, you know, I realize as I track metrics, I don't spend enough time with friends. Guess what you get to count as tonight? I had friend time. I get to spend right. time with friends. Boom. Because yeah, there's a part of me that will still work myself to death. And yet there's a part of me that wants friends so badly because 
you know, I, I, I listened to an expert the other day saying, you know, this pandemic is worse than smoking on people. You know, you're not seeing people, you're not hugging people. We're not sharing time together. You know, this isolation. Yeah. All that is part of the health, the vitality formula. That's the Steve Rogers part. The Batman part is not, I'm going to master 187 different styles. And how am I going to, because I'm Batman. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I think what you just shared might have saved, uh, the Lord might have used you to save my life because I will tell you this, I'm turning 48 in a couple of weeks. You child! The, the spell of, uh, of ageism, the spell of those numbers, uh, it is a hypnosis of sorts that our society tries to put on us. And I think you're, you helped me break out of that hypnotic spell. And so I, I, I thank you. And this is what I want to, oh, I, this is one of my core causes. I will not be a mono, an anomaly. And I've been accused of being an anomaly. I have a close relative that says, you realize you can't be as healthy and as strong as a 30-year-old. I said, which 30-year-old we're pointing out because I'm stronger than all our nephews and nieces. And, you know, quite frankly, I can still qualify for the Navy's, you know, except for the swimming, but Rangers. Yeah, I can do all that. He goes, I said, and I couldn't do it when I was 30. So what are you talking about? He goes, you're just a freak. You're an anomaly. I go, no, I'm not an anomaly. God doesn't create anomalies. He goes, this set. Yes, this set of atoms over here. That's a good set. The set you got, that set sucks. I'm sorry. You get old. <laughs> no, 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 no. And it does start with mindset. And so, you know, I'm, I found out recently, I'm going to be a grandfather in April. Yes. Oh, <laughs> congratulations. That's I'm awesome, building, awesome. building the 72 year old. I'm building, this is going to be 62 in March. I'm building the 72 year old that will, you know, think about this. I want what, what's going to power my grandchild when my grandchild is my age, you know, in the sixties, what will she remember? What is the power of that? Oh my God. Yeah. So now, now you have that force that is pulling you forward because, you know, every, you know, and this is why I, and I'm going to tell you one thing you should filter out of your language when you talk about ageism is self deprecating humor. I get it on because I used to do it all the time. Well, you know, at my age, this age, well, I mean, you hit a certain age. Yeah. We were stripping down the Ren Fair the other day. Well, not the other day, two years ago, because we didn't have one last year. And, you know, we, we have to pull down all the stages. And there was some heavy lifting in the back. And I hear somebody saying, hey, we've got to take down that pole. Get one of those kids. No, get Bobby. Bobby, get back here. I'm like, they're looking for somebody young and strong. They call Bobby. And, uh, you know, we were having a dance set that summer. And I went out there because the backpipers started playing. We did a spontaneous number that was so much fun. But then the director comes to me and goes, you know, you guys had a dance set right after that. I said, and we did it. He goes, no, you did it. You wore out the rest mm -hmm. of the cast. Don't do that. I'm being fussed at for wearing out 18-year-olds. Don't tell me who is old. I have decided. I have decided who is old. And so, yeah. Amen. Am I living in a quantum reality? In a bubble? Yes, you can. And here's what I really believe. These kind of realities can spread the contagion of belief, the belief that now that you might believe, yes, why, why can't I? If Bobby can feel, and again, I do when I, there's times I go, oh my God, this feels, especially after I, I meditated right before I came in here, I did admit, because I love the sun. I love the sun on my face. 
and I'm feeling, I'm listening. Okay. Can you imagine what I listen to the car and it's like the car is rocking. So I'm like, we will, we will rock. And then I'm listening to my favorite soundtrack right now is going to be the greatest showman. And then I'm, yeah, I'm in my car doing the greatest showman right before I come in here because I need to be that young man, that, you know, that ageless man. Because I've been asked, I've been asked by the kids right before on the Ren Fair, right before we go out and hit the field. They see me doing this. Like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? You're doing some yoga exercises. I said, no, man, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm calling down the Holy Spirit. The power of Jesus Christ is filling me up right now. Now I'm becoming a younger man. And, you know, I can't tell you there's a lot of believers in the acting community. But there is a believer that is part of their group. I'm the guy that they ask to talk up to. You know, when we gather around our, our core actors, they say, Bobby, get out here and talk the kids up. Because they need to believe who they are. You need to believe. You're, and this is what I do every single day. Because if I don't, somebody will tell me who I am. I'm an old man. I'm a guy who's never become rich. Oh my God, your 60s. Look at what you're driving, Bobby. Yeah, the screw table letters. Satan whispering into our ears who we are. No, not what we can become. Not what we're going to transform into. And this, this is what I love so much about what we're doing. I feel like in some ways your podcast, this discipline, this is arming the troops to take back their lives. And this is what you want to do, not so you can become rich and beautiful and famous overnight, so that you can become the man and the woman that right now people look at you. Whatever they're drinking, whatever that is, I want some. Amen, brother. Amen. 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 Man, you uh I can tell my my wife is probably screaming downstairs. You get you you are you are hitting the nail on the head. So uh, we just we thank you for all of that. Goodness gracious. Bobby Hebert was so amazing and we bonded in such a supernatural way that we just had to break this episode into two parts. As the interview goes on, though, the conversation becomes even more engaging. So please tune in next week for part two of local Virginia legend Bobby Hebert.